Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Well, today's top story, of course, is that it is the anniversary of January 6th, the day that will forever live in infamy. We've Happy got the insurrection anniversary. There you go. Sorry, I'm so excited. Yes, go for it. Lead us no, on. I'm very excited about everything today. It's been it's like long awaited. You count down all of December, then those first five days in January, and finally it's here. And we've gotten quite the spectacle that, you know, we really anticipated all day long. They had those planned events at the Capitol, inside the Capitol. They had the congressmen and women giving the testimony inside, very moving. They are going to be having that vigil, that prayer vigil on the steps where it happened later on. And of course, we had the speeches from Kamala and Joe Biden, where they really propagated this fan fiction, hardcore, like you've never seen before. Biden is up there just Given the three big lies, Trump not only had one big lie, he had three big lies, all associated with the election challenges. And he mentioned Georgia specifically saying that they tried all of the possible election challenges that would even be allowed and they all failed. And he emphasized that Trump definitely intentionally incited these riots, but democracy stood and those monsters did not win on that day. And It goes even further than this just circus that we're seeing from them. They presented an act in Congress earlier this week. I think you're going to love this if you haven't heard this. The Democrats have presented an act called the Insurrection Memorial Act. I think that's the name of it. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. Excuse me. It's the Capitol Remembrance Act. That's the name (laughs) of the bill. That's even better. And they want to erect a permanent exhibit memorializing the attack on the Capitol. And the act seeks to direct the architect of the Capitol to design (laughs) and install in the United States Capitol an exhibit that depicts the attack on the Capitol that occurred on January 6, 2021. I'll take a breath before I tell you the rest so you can have a moment. Well, it actually just makes me think about the... I always call it like monument building civilizations. People say, oh, you you object to the way the state is. But if you go back, give me an example of a state that isn't like this, of a government that isn't like this, that you just this is the way it is. And I'm like, well, this is the people who live free don't build monuments to their leaders or the leaders don't engage slave labor to build monuments to themselves. And I feel like this is a little microcosm of how monuments create a history that may not even be true. And that is exactly what I was thinking with this is we used to talk a lot about symbols and the influential power that they have to control a country, to guide a country. And that when those symbols are torn down, they are replaced by the new guiding symbols, by the new history, the new mythology that will in the future guide the country. And while we know that what they're saying today is a lie, most of them probably know that what they are saying today is a lie. In 50 years, when children of that generation see this monument of the Q shaman (laughs) carrying out Nancy Pelosi's podium or whatever – they aren't going to know it's a lie. It's going to be that monument they learned about in school that's just always been there. 
So the monument is of the shaman, or you don't know what the monument? No, I, is. I just, I just. I okay, just because what's crazy about this insurrection is that it's an unarmed insurrection. That's not what Joe Biden said today. He very oh, much really? made it clear that this was an armed insurrection. <laughs> selfie sticks. Yeah, they were armed with selfie sticks. <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, it's unbelievable. I, I have a an absolute. Uh, huge amount of stuff about kind of the for the deepest dive of the day about what I really think the January 6th thing is about and harkens back to something we've been waiting for but might not have realized that this was it and also some I'm not usually a like a whataboutism or hypocrisy thing but there is something about it where this the January 6th thing is pales in comparison to another event in history that gets absolutely i never even heard of and it implicates some of these guys who are acting like this is the end of the world so i want to really get into that in the deep dive but um for now suffice it to say yes we are being teed up for this being the new 9-11 and don't forget 9-11 false flags which this is in my opinion false flags because it stopped the certification, it stopped the investigation into the electoral yeah. certifications for Biden. It actually ushered in a premature certification him. of Biden. It helped him. So it's yeah. really a false flag. They, totally. they ushered in Biden under by creating a diversion under a false flag. But false flags are used to start wars. Yeah. And that's what we have to think about here. And then we can talk about, I think we should really expand on that in the deep, deepest dive of the day. I do as well. Let me give you a little bit more about the specifics of this monument they want to create. So in the bill, it says that no, no later than two years after the date of enactment of this act, the architect of the Capitol and consultation with the joint committee on the library shall carry out a project to design and install in a prominent location in the United States Capitol, a permanent exhibit that depicts the attack on the Capitol that occurred on that day. So I'm imagining old people milling around outside, a lot of Asian people supporting Trump. Probably maybe they won't include those in the Capitol or people walking <laughs> calmly on the red carpet. It's just going to be the FBI undercover FBI agents that they say weren't there <laughs> that are going to be right. in the statue. And they say additionally, this bill requ- requires damaged property, photographs, and a plaque honoring the sacrifices of heroes, including Capitol Officer Brian Sicknick. And it says who died of natural causes. And artwork may be created. Oh wait, yeah. So. He can have a little bit of artistic creativity as long as it depicts that capital attack in the right way. And the price tag is to be as much as necessary to get it done. Well, it'll probably be more than the price around the 9-11 investigation, which was like a couple of million bucks. Can you imagine that going to Washington, D.C. and seeing a monument? You see the Lincoln Memorial. You see the other monuments. Then you see the. The Capitol January 6th insurrection monument. I think the Lincoln Memorial is pretty uh, psychological as well. Oh, they're all psychological. There's no doubt about that. That's the power of these symbols. I mean, actually, what it does to me is discredit all the other stuff. Not that I gave a lot of credit. I don't like the monument building civilizations, but that makes it me feel less inclined to it's a question even further the previous the value of the previous monuments and i guess what as the official narrative changes they pull those old ones down like robert e lee and stuff and they can continue to curate our history that way yeah it's really extraordinary what we're seeing today just the stories that they're telling and they're doubling down on a lot of things many 
of which are just completely not true and verifiably not true. But they're sticking with it because in 50 years, if they can control that history, then they can control that future. Future. This is like narrative warfare. and We are surrounded by it. It's partly fascinating to watch, but it's also a little scary. Yeah, Don't they say that if you want to cr- control the present? Just, uh, you know, control the pay who controls the past, controls the present, who controls exactly. the present, controls the future. Yeah. And the primary fundamental trait of narrative warfare, as spoken by Ajit Man, who trains a lot of intelligence officers in this very thing, is that the narrative is not about truth. That is not about truth. It is right. about meaning. You project the meaning of the framing of events that you give, and that's how you win narrative warfare. Okay. So. I found some interesting predictions for 2022, if you would like to to hear some of them. Absolutely. He who controls the present controls the future. Yes. I've got a lot of predictions today. I'll, I'm, I'll tell you about some others later that are a little bit different. But these, these are very interesting to me. So this comes from a publication called – the title of the document is called Outrageous Predictions. But this is a consulting firm out of the UK, I believe. and they every year release their outrageous predictions. And the reason they release them, they do say they make them a little bit extreme because their idea is to provoke you. And their theme of this year of 2022 is revolution. And they're leaning more towards the cultural revolution. They're seeing it as a good thing, not as a bad thing. And it's from home Saxo consulting firm. Here are a couple of the ones that I I pulled out that I thought were the most interesting. Prediction number one, the U.S. midterm elections bring a constitutional crisis. They say in the wake of the the 2022 election, a handful of key Senate and House races come down to the wire and one or both sides move against certifying the vote, making it impossible for the new Congress to form and sit on its scheduled first day of January 2023. Who is behind these predictions? It's a consulting firm called Sachs. S-A-C-H-S? No, S-A-X-X. Hold on one second. I'll look just at it. No, you keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Don't worry. I got it. Okay. I can send you the document later on. S-A-X-O Group. That's what it is. Saxo Group. Oh, okay. Okay. Number two. Oh, oh they say uh, – they also say that – they mentioned Georgia in that little – Fight. They say that Georgia is going to be highly contested and could lead to some of these issues that that happen. Then the next one is, is kind of funny. Women's Reddit Army takes on the corporate patriarchy. Mimicking the meme <laughs> stock Reddit Army tactics of 2020 and 2021, a group of women traders launch a coordinated assault on companies with weak records on gender equality, leading to huge swings in equity prices for targeted companies. In contrast to these Often nihilistic original Reddit armies, the women's Reddit army will be more sophisticated with women traders coordinating a long squeeze by shorting stocks of selected patriarch companies. What way? What could be easier? Just in the virtual world, I've always said this about discrimination. It's like, you know what? Even if people refuse to buy better shoes for cheaper because you're black, just sell them on the Internet and that's all over. But they're truly bringing that stuff to the Internet. But it works in the other way. So we don't really know if they're chicks. Oh, we have no idea. Yeah, it could be one dude who's playing all those characters like those simulations we talked about a while ago with the consulting firms. They say that the impact of this, these women Reddit armies taking over the patriarchy is that the movement's going to get results 
uh, as the broader market catches on to the theme and joins in, forcing targeted companies' prices sharply lower, which sees companies scrambling to change their ways. It marks the beginning of a gender parity uh, renaissance in the markets. So this sounds to me a lot like what they were doing on Twitter in the Trump era, where Grab My Wallet and Sleeping Giants, I believe was the other one, would get this army of online people, usually on Twitter, and they would just ambush. They'd send the digital mobs after anybody who was on a corporate board who might have donated to Trump, after anybody who said something positive about Trump or who didn't denounce him. And they would get them, they would try to get their sponsors removed and try to hurt them economically. It sounds like a 2.0 version of that. And uh, yeah, Yeah, I'm trying to figure out who's at the bottom of this. It seems like it's a um, Danish company. Does that sound Um, right? Yes, I knew it was uh, it was a foreign company and they have a lot of very least present. They present them as high profile consultants in there. If you download the document, you're probably at the website. The document's real. It's like this 40 page document that has little profiles of each. This is why I was looking at it because futurism is actually I have a couple of things about that. Yeah. Future these futurists. I was just talking to Sam Tripoli and Brian Callen on their newest conspiracy endeavor, and I, it was a little bit walking into it because I didn't know that Brian is is not fully in the rabbit hole. So oh, we really. We went back and forth a little bit on this and what, but I had done a little work beforehand because I wanted to bring something fresh for their show. And so I dug in a little bit more to the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation document, as well as the 2017 SPARS document, which was Johns Hopkins. And actually what I didn't realize or must have forgotten was that the 2010 document was compiled by, or the scenario thing, there's four scenarios there about different, um, how agile your technology is and how authoritarian your government is. There's four scenarios, more or less agile combined with more or less government authority. But the people who put together the scenario were the Global Business Network, which we've talked about before. Peter Schwartz, Stuart Brand is in there. Um, So a bunch of guys and uh, they trace their roots back to the CIA to Siri is the Stanford Research Institute. And and it was SRI. I didn't realize that. Like I discovered all this looking into this guy, Peter Schwartz, who was helping the Rockefeller Foundation try to figure out how to save the world. And then I dug into his backstory and it was crazy. He was at the Stanford Research Institute when it was called SRI. They invented Siri, which was bought by Apple. And they also invented the Internet and all that kind of stuff. And then Stuart Brand had something to do, I think, with the Esalen Institute, which was like that kind of you know, psychological studies. And then, uh, but later, so the 2017 SPARS document, I don't think I caught this the first time around. It was just one of those scenarios. It was like technologically agile with a, with a factional political scene called the echo chamber is how they talked to it. But I didn't realize it was put together by Ogilvy and Schwartz. So the global business network went to like was bought by a consultant and they left. And so it's the exact same guys doing it, but what they are, they kind of invented being futurists, futurists. And what they, what you want to think when you hear that is that they think about the future and they kind of predict the future. But when you dig a little deeper and see what Peter Schwartz is doing now, he's involved in a government or a project, a think tank where they are trying to shape the future, the economic mm-hmm. and social future, just like the World Economic Forum stuff. So these futurists aren't really so much trying to predict, but they're they're um, 
they're trying to tell their clients who are really big global corporations or other kind of institutions how to shape the world to be a place that's good for their products. And so like this Reddit yeah. thing, that sounds like something that they're inventing. Totally. It totally you know. sounds like something they're picking up and trying to invent. So it's like a, when you're telling a, a team at halftime, we're going to win this game. It's not you predicting you're going to win. It's you trying to impose your will upon the outcome of the game. I completely agree. And another thing about futurists, I did look this up. There are universities, there are education programs you can go into to be a futurist. I think that if you're a really good futurist and you can prove that, you're probably making a lot of money. And if you're not a good futurist, you shouldn't be making any. And comparing the the predictions from year to year really should be a pretty good indicator. Now, I don't know if these guys predicted last year. I probably should have looked at that. Well, I don't think they so want... I don't think Peter Schwartz would like to trot out that 2010 Rockefeller Foundation document or the 2017 SPARS document because it's clear they're not just good futurists as in predict the future. They're clearly scripting the future. Yeah, yeah. Yes, definitely. But he also, Peter Schwartz, was a World Economic Forum Davos speaker or even member. I mean, all that stuff. When I started digging into this particular thing, the backstory on Global Business Network and the individuals in it, that's when a lot of these pieces started to pull together. I'm not saying there aren't institutions that are outside this framework, but a lot of them are inside this framework, including our friend Klaus. It's like all the other institutions are connected to it as like a mother institute or something like that, which makes me think there is another one that we do not see. I think the ones that really control, we never actually see. Yeah. But the futurism, like they are actually trying to shape the social and governance. Just that is like the ESG thing. Mm -hmm. These for yeah. 10, for decades. And Speaking of ESG, some of these predictions were related to ESG. Here's one right here. I believe this one. Okay. Spot. No, that's the wrong one. Excuse me. Uh, businesses, corporations see the value in ESG standards. They see the responses from the stakeholders and they take a turn in their marketing and their marketing embraces the ESG standard model in 2022, which we're already seeing that with a lot of the biggest corporations trying to start it there and make it trickle down with the social justice, virtue signaling type commercials and stuff like that. And putting people on the board there. I see. I think that Jack Dorsey stepping down, I think part of that was him setting an example of I'm a white man who was leading this company. I'm going to step aside and I'm going to use my privilege to uplift a person of color into this position, which is one of the things that they talk about doing when yes, it comes to this yes. ESG stuff. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So that's it on those predictions there. I, I'm going to give you some more in the XR that are pretty. Yeah. Let's slide right into the World Economic Forum ESG thing. It's a natural. Oh, wait. I, this is the one I want to tell you. Sorry, I forgot about this one. Medical breakthrough extends average life expectancy 25 years. 80 is the new 50. This is a prediction. Wow. We wow. Well, I'll tell you, I actually think that life expectancy is going in the opposite direction. Like we were talking, like people are dying. And I think that between COVID and the vaccine, they are definitely cutting off the high end of the spectrum. <laughs> Totally. And they bring up some interesting points here. They say in 2022, you're going to see a major breakthrough from multi from a multi-factor approach, a cocktail of treatments put together to tweak cell level processes in order to extend their life and thus the life of the organism composed of those cells. It's not cheap, but it's effective and has already been demonstrated on laboratory mice containing human DNA extending their lives 30% or more. And they say the implications for humans is the possibility that they will be able to live 25 years longer. 
However, there are ethical concerns because who gets it? If it's, is, right. if it's expensive, can you give it to everybody? Well, that's kind of a bigger picture thing I've been thinking of is that are they – the Great Reset has to have something to do with population because everybody involved seems to want that as a goal to reduce the population. Yeah. They're obviously hitting the old and the infirm and the weak in societies consistent with the report from Iron Mountain. And if they are going to impart this longer life, either it's on a much smaller population or it's in a subset. And then you start getting to that divergence, that kind of transhumanism thing. That there's literally two kinds of people. And then that's when I start worrying about nanotechnology or genetics. And I actually have a little something on that uh, when you're ready. Yeah. One other thing about that is what they say is going to make this possible is the prime editing of DNA. Some of that's a CRISPR type approach, I believe, which is related to the RNA technology type stuff. Oh, and the I DNA think, stuff that's in J and J and AstraZeneca. Yeah, I, I think that. So I've said this before, but when it comes to the vaccine, I don't think they really care if if you know maybe it kills some people. I think that they would utilize that sample of people first to see how this technology mixes with the different types of DNA, because I think ultimately they would like to perfect that technology and make it this super technology to usher them into transhumanism. Okay. World Economic Forum has been busy and they have Davos coming up, which they're going to be doing it virtually again. But really? yeah, they are because, you know, they were able to get all those CEOs there virtually. They might not be able to get them there in person and they're acting like maybe they're, they're safe. making it two tiered so that the vert, like we saw the oh, plenary right. CFR. So they have like everybody yeah. can pay a thousand bucks to get the like low hanging fruit. But only if you show up and ski, do you get the inside scoop? And that's like a million bucks. That's got to be what they're doing. There, there's Actually, no way the Global Business Network that I was talking about earlier. They had a membership program that was forty thousand dollars a year just to get like their book recommendations and their specialists like hearing what they had to say. Forty thousand dollars a year. That's pretty I mean, I think I think Davos is like a million, <laughs> but yeah, that's real, probably real information. So one of the interesting articles they put out yesterday is about how private investors are crucial to the future of ESG. They're going to rely on private wealthy investors, and then they give an outline of how those private investors, very wealthy people, can find their voice, which I thought was funny, as though they are unable to get a platform to express their voice. But they say that these private investors are worth forty-two yeah, trillion. That's funny. Yeah, forty-two trillion worldwide, and they could be the agents of change on ESG issues, which we've already seen with the major corporations leading the way on that. And they say high net worth family wealth supports the long-term engagement ESG investments will require. So here they're talking about what they Hold call on. Glo global down. families. Wait, you're going too fast. That's. Repeat that sentence. High net worth family wealth supports long-term engagement ESG investment requires. Yeah, it's that intergenerational wealth. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why I say like you, it's this isn't just chaos. There isn't chaos from top to bottom in this society. There's chaos at the bottom. I can tell you that much. I don't know what the hell. You know, I wouldn't I don't I'm learning as I go. But there are people whose names are on the top of buildings who know stuff like plan in a way that we don't. And it's, I don't think that the technology that they subsidize by joining Peter Schwartz's organization 
is something that they're not anticipating better than we are. They know what the future is. They're shaping it. And I think that when they make their investments in that's this stuff, they're going to go back and get the policies. And you've brought us clips on that too. Fantastic clips on that Rockfin stuff where they're going to go back and make the policies uh, require some of these otherwise bad investment choices, they're going to make it required so that all the little guys, there can be no startups, there can be no entrance, the little guys go away. I wonder if that's what's happening in the airline industry. Possibly. I'm going to give you one little paragraph here that speaks to what you're saying there. It says that as investors worldwide demand greater transparency and alignment of company strategies with ESG policies, private investors have an increasingly important role to play, ensuring their investments are held to the same standards. Historically, agitating for change has largely been the has largely been done by institutional investors, but now is in the hands of private ones to become the key influencers in a multi-stakeholder response to solving ESG challenges. And then they say that high net worth and especially family wealth is ideally suited for this kind of approach that ESG investment requires. And they have a website called a family barometer where they they have all of the issues that these intergenerational wealthy families are talking about wow. and they give graphs about which issues are on their minds the most and this to me just looks like these guys Illusion. get together this is they they big t they yes exactly i've never seen this website before. <laughs> when someone asks yeah is it uh, will you put it in the show notes because yeah, when somebody asks who is they this is they. This is they right here. You I'm get gonna... to opt in. If you have enough money, you get to opt in to being they. So in the XR, one of the things I want to talk about is uh, just, I just want to touch on this Charles Lieber, who is the father of nanotech and was recently oh. sentenced. Very interesting. Yeah, I'll tell you about that in the XR, but I still have a big deep dive. All right. What is your big deep dive going to be a subject of? It is... Is January 6th the tripwire we've been warned about? And that's what we're going to talk about in the deepest dive of the day. Before we get to that, I do want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR, which is a different set of predictions. These from 1922 about what they thought the world would look like in 2022. Wow, that's interesting. Some very, very interesting. For the futurists of the past. Right. We'll see how how accurate they were. What if it's exactly the same and they nailed it? (laughs) I think there's a chance. But before we get to that, I do want to encourage you guys to check out rockfin.com. Check us out at rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Rockfin is a new video platform where you can find all of the stuff that you cannot find on YouTube anymore because YouTube censors anything to ask questions. Rockfin, you can ask questions. You can do critical analysis. You can explore curious topics and they encourage it actually and they encourage me triggering monica with outrageous comments <laughs> by these think tank globalists as they're laying their plans which hey, we're going to be recording one of those later are we recording it or are we doing it live it's still up in the air okay still up in the air so we'll, you might want we'll to check out. back here in a couple yeah, of yeah. hours we'll definitely find out about that later but rockfin.com slash propaganda report you don't only get all of our content when you sign up you get all of the content of all of the creators on rockfin people like sam tripley the mad ones whitney webb lots of great stuff on there they're doing good things over there they are pro liberty pro free speech check them out rockfin.com slash propaganda report and now on to that deepest dive of the day okay so like i said earlier in this show Today is the 
anniversary of January 6th. They're likening it to 9-11. It is, in my estimation, a false flag. I we, we watched that thing unfold in real time. We know people who were there. We saw tons of video from there. We knew what we were expecting out of the events of January 6th. We were expecting a three-day um, vetting of the electoral certification in the states that still had questions. And we expected, I personally had hoped, there would be a two-week investigation, not unprecedented in presidential election history, to kind of get people comfortable with how the electoral certification went down if it was fair. And the last time it happened, there was a negotiated outcome, actually. So uh, that's what we were waiting for. And Arizona had started. They were into it like four hours. So it was not going to be done that day. Biden was not on schedule to be certified that day. And instead, this big um, event was, in my opinion, staged and or in my observation, it looked very staged. And people who were there thought that uh, some of the stuff was looked weird and unnatural and staged. They opened the gate. Like a lot of this stuff looked like it was um, a setup. And then the outcome was that the Republicans uh, slithered away in, in shame and embarrassment and disgrace by the end of the day and just gave up any objection to the legitimate concerns about the electoral certification and certified Biden prematurely. And that's what happened. And that is, to me, like a definition of a false flag. So. What we need to remember is that the false flags trigger wars. One of the things, so earlier today in this show, I was talking about the scenarios that Global Business Network and stuff were lay out the scenarios for um, the future. And one of the ones, the ones that they landed on, it was called the scramble, I think, in the 2010 document and the echo chamber in the 2017 document is about turning uh, well, I think it was specifically in the scramble, turning defense dollars domestically to deal with domestic issues. And it made me think that the war. So I've already said, I think the war model is replaced by the pandemic model. And but also you've said that the terrorist thing is now domestic terrorism. So when I li- thought back to that deep dive, we did one of the first ones we did on Rockfin where the guys were talking about how using the election, the 2020 or 2018 election as a tripwire to show Russia interfering with our election, endangering democracy itself. And for them to use that as an excuse for kinetic action, which is real war. So you and I, I think, have been waiting around to kind of see that come to pass. Like, so they were talking about Russia and the and the woman asked what would be the tripwire? And the guy said, the election. What would be the tripwire? The election. Now, they were talking about it in the context of Russia, but I remember from reading the report from Iron Mountain, they said expressly, we will never talk about the real thing we're going to do because that'll blow it. So then I started, when I heard Chuck Schumer going on and on about democracy, I mean, I'd like to read a couple of quotes about this um, from... Uh, here it is. It's not really that long. It's He says, democracy could, God forbid, God forbid, horror of horrors, vanish, Schumer said from the Senate floor. The only way to move forward is to remember what happened that day and pass legislation to ensure that it never happens again. Let the anniversary of January 6th forever serve as a reminder that the march to perfect our democracy is never over. Our democracy is a precious, sometimes fragile gift purchased by those who struggled before us and that all of us must now do our part to keep the American vision going in the present and into the future. I mean, that's a war speech. And it's about using January 6th as the tripwire for 
what they're trying to do, passing some voting laws, which may or may not be that big a deal. Like it, those things are so hard to wade through. I'll just tell you what the, the mainstream says that the, the latest voting rights bill would make election day a public holiday, ensure that every state offers same day voter registration, set minimum fe- federal standards on mail-in voting and ban partisan gerrymandering. But Manchin's going to go to the mat and say that you need IDs for it. And the Democrats are going to capitulate to him, in my opinion, making it, giving them all cover on that, even though everybody in government wants maximum surveillance. They absolutely want your ID. They probably want to know your votes via the blockchain anyway. So I feel like the voter thing is part of what they're doing, but also yeah. they're using that as an excuse for another layer of, uh, you know, if you want to peel this onion, I'm not sure which, uh, which layers come first, but Schumer is leading the charge on getting rid of the filibuster. And Manchin is the one guy supposedly standing in the way of that. And the importance of the filibuster is you get rid of the filibuster, then everything basically is a 50-50 vote. And if you're making laws that a full half of the people do not want or the representatives feel like compelled that they have to object on behalf of their constituents, that's, I mean, that, first of all, the, the, the wild swings would be very destabilizing. But also, it's so easy to corrupt that if 50% of the people are voting for it and a bunch of them are corrupt, then you're absolutely not getting any, even a 50-50 vote on it. And then, I mean, it really opens the way to tyranny. Totally. To what you were saying, when you started off there, the domestic terrorism being the focus and then the intermingling of domestic terrorism with foreign terrorism and treating them one and the same, a little tease preview of what we're going to be doing tonight on the Rockfin Deep Dive is... In the wake of the January 6th, it's here now, but when they recorded this, it was upcoming. There was a panel discussion of some people in the Department of Defense, and it's actually the Undersecretary of Intelligence for Biden, where they were talking about how Biden's national domestic terrorism strategy, they, they released that strategy six months ago that we've talked about a lot. They're now going back and they're updating us on how it is working on how the strategy is being implemented, the successes, the failures, and how things have changed from last year to this year. It's pretty interesting stuff. Very, You're going to be triggered. Very interesting. I'm sure I will be. So a couple more things on this is there uh, this Chuck Schumer stuff talking about the um, he had other like things that were making is he says uh, much like the violent insurrectionists who stormed the U S Capitol nearly a year ago, uh, the GOP has anti-democratic legislation from coast to coast that needs to be overridden, whatever. But all this talk of like the democracy, democratic action and stuff, it was reflected in that weird AT&T, which owns CNN, by the way, speech where he said it's totally anti-democratic to like not less let us put 5g out there like they're using that as a as a real rallying cry a lot but even with that there is a little bit of hypocrisy which like i said i don't normally like to focus on it but it's pretty messed up is that i don't even i don't even remember this there was a 1983 bomb went off in the senate did you hear about this no. A bomb went off in the Senate. Like they're making a big stink about January 6th or pipe bombs that didn't go off. One went off in the Senate and they said, oh, well, we don't we didn't uh, kill anybody this time because we just wanted to to um, send a message. But 
it totally changed how congressional and Senate security was. You can't get anywhere near those people now. You can't get into your own legislators. It's very hard to petition and assemble. And now we're again moving those barriers outward. We're building walls and walls. So this, a, a woman who is seriously implicated in that, Susan Rosenberg, she uh, went to jail for 16 years, but she was in, she was serving a 58 year sentence for a weapons charge on another matter. She also was involved in the Brinks job, which was in my town. I remember it very distinctly. And it really, our community had to pay extra taxes for years. It was scary. I was a half mile away as a little kid in elementary school. It was really crazy. Um, she was implicated in that as well. And Gerald Nadler, Nadler, whatever, intervened with Clinton and got her sentence commuted on the last day of his um, presidential term. So this is somebody who actually blew off a bomb in the Senate and to a Democrat senator and the president commuted that sentence. And her their goal of her organization was to violently overthrow the U.S. government. And they literally blew up a bomb. So this idea that January 6th right. is like the day that lives in infamy. That's just one example. Did, did they steal a podium? <laughs> or wear funny clothes. Yeah, yeah, put horns on their head. It's just, it's crazy. They're they're blowing this thing up to crystallize this false memory in the minds of the future, really, of children. I think is ultimately who are going to be the unfortunate um, people who suffer from this if this narrative wins out. So hopefully we won't let it win out. Okay, I think that that wraps it up for the 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 free thirty before yes, we get into don't- the. Don't remember. Don't forget. Yeah, tomorrow is a disappearing patron party. So if you're at, if you want to be a part of that, go to Patreon.com/slash/Propaganda Report and join a party level tier. And also, if you uh, want to watch the rest of this live, go to Rockfin.com/slash/Propaganda Report and just subscribe right through this. That's right. And you guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform of the Propaganda Report podcast feed. Rockfin.com slash Propaganda Report to get access to that extra content, our deep dives, and see the rest of this show live. We will talk to you all tomorrow or in the DNB XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Happy Insurrectionist Diversary.